This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks, here as always with Kara Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. Normally, we have Angela Hilton here, who's the editor-in-chief of Modern Campground, but she is currently traveling in Arizona, actually at the Quartzsite RV Show. Doesn't have good enough signal there, so uh, we couldn't get her on the show today, but super excited to obviously have her back next week. So we've got a lot of different things we're going to do today. So we've been starting these themed shows and the fourth week of every month, we're going to do a new show that's focused on the RV industry and outdoor recreation as a whole. So we've got a lot of guests involved there. And then we've got Mr. Sam Shanley, who's going to start us off today in a second. Uh, Sam was originally booked as a guest before we decided to change everything up on him and just screw with all this time and his opportunities that he was marked. We're going to make sure that he gives enough time to talk about that today. So we're super excited to have Sam here. He owns a glamping destination in uh, Covert, South Haven. But let's just talk about who we have on the show, and then we'll turn it over to Sam, and he can tell us a little bit about what he's got going on. So we've got uh, Phil Ingracia from the RVDA of America. I feel like I have to say that, even though it's not of America, because we also have, uh, who is having internet issues, Eleanor Ham from RVDA of Canada, who's going to join us. So Phil is at NTP Stag in Las Vegas, right, Phil? That is correct. All right, and then we got Eleanor Ham's in her office, and Shane's in her office, and Kara's in her office. So I feel like we should all strive to be as good as Phil with our backgrounds and our traveling for these shows. But And then we're super excited to have Patrice and Kevin here as well, who are the hosts of RV There Yet, which is a new TV series that aired and started airing in January on Discovery Channel. So we're super excited to talk to them about their experiences. They said they were, we were talking before the show, they were at the Florida RV Super Show and some different things like that. And of course, we want to hear about their series and all that kind of cool stuff that they have going on. So but let's kick it off with Sam here. Sam, do you want to yeah. just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, what you have going on there in Michigan. Yeah, happy to. So, hi everybody. My name is Sam Shanley. Last year, I started a new business, Off Map Glamping, with my co-founder and my friend from college, Mike Doyle, who is, is not here today. And so, I am actually based out of Chicago. I don't know if anybody can see this, but probably not through the glare. But this is scenic in Chicago. But our business itself is a couple hours out of here, so about two hour drive from Chicago and South Haven, Michigan. So, we just opened Off Map Glamping. It's a new glamping resort. So. We have no RVs, so for anybody here to hear it's about RVs, right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we're yeah. So our yeah, that's our website there, stayoffmap.com. If you guys want to look us up, but yeah, so this is our first year we're going into our second, and so our business model is really camping for kind of two groups of people: either folks who are interested in having a, kind of an outdoor experience or an outdoor adventure, but aren't quite or haven't camped before, or are looking to dip their toe in the water, but maybe not fully commit yet. So we get a lot of folks with us who have never camped before, and this is a good entry entry point for them. And then we do get a lot of folks who have camped before and they're experienced, almost professional campers, and they're just looking for a weekend to do it with a little bit more luxury. They don't have to pack out. They don't have to pack in, just show up and everything's ready. So we've got, uh, last year we had a dozen safari tents. This year we'll be going to 20 tents. And so they're all furnished. I've got king beds in them, wood-burning stoves, um, furniture. They're super nice. Yeah, it's a very nice product. Yeah. And so we, we serve breakfast on site and then we've got, you know, a 75 acre property that folks 
some folks are just looking to hang out on site all day. And so they'll do walks through the woods or we've got um, a blackberry orchard, we've got a blueberry orchard. And so some folks will pick berries, which are in season, or they'll just hang out and then we do fires in the evening. But then we're also between a couple of big vacation towns, South Haven, Michigan and Saugatuck, Michigan are big tourist destinations. They've got beaches and wineries and more bars than anybody knows what to do with. And so we get a lot of customers who just are looking for basically a hotel while they stay in, in a vacation town, but figured why stay in a Holiday Inn when I can go glamping instead. So that's the nuts and bolts of us. Like I said, we're about to open our second uh, second year here and we'll run kind of June through the end of October. So yeah, that's the nuts and bolts of us. Happy to talk more about any specifics that, that folks might find interesting. So what they still... go ahead, Karen, please. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask about how things were launched considering the pandemic timing and all of that where you guys down the road partially when all of that stuff happened? Yeah. So we, we started working on this in January, 2020, and then we were about two days from signing on a property and then the pandemic hit and they shut everything and we were like, oh God, is this the worst idea ever? Uh, and I think as anybody in the camping industry now knows, no, we should have sprinted ahead because that would have been the absolute best. But nobody knew anything in hindsight's 2020. And so we just didn't do anything for three months while we were like, ah, oh, is this the worst time to ever start a travel business? So in hindsight, I wish we'd run a little bit faster. And then during that period, but there was no, everybody knows there was no way to know back then what was going to happen. Yeah. We took a pause there. And then uh, by the time we unpaused, the place we're working on was no longer available. And so we refocused and, and we ultimately found a new piece of property here in Michigan. And it's been great. I think we've really benefited as everybody else in the outdoor industry can attest. People can't, people aren't trying to fly a lot of places. City centers are closed. And so you're not going to go to Manhattan for a vacation or pick your city of choice. And so outdoor things have gotten a lot of leverage from that. So from that perspective, it's been really great for us. But I think nearly doubling your capacity is a good testament yeah. to your success in the first year. Yeah. Ever. yeah, no, it went really well. So we're really excited for year two, especially when we know how to do things better. Sam, did you have a lot of, uh, sorry, Sam, did you have a lot of, um, did you have a lot of, uh, bureaucratic red tape to get through, to get your business going, or was that pretty smooth in Michigan? So we would have, so this is actually the fifth property that we went under contract at, and every property has its own foibles. Some of them are legal and zoning. Some of them are regulatory. Sometimes you find out you're in the floodplain and there's nothing you can do. We lucked out because there are two tiny townships in the state of Michigan that do not have zoning, and we are in one of them. <laughs> so we, we didn't know that when we went under, when we first saw the property, but as soon as we found that out, we quickly went under contract. I will say anybody who does glamping will tell you the hardest part is getting the property zoned and switched to what you want because the specifics of what you need are a little bit different from other campgrounds and just the structure of how we're laid out is a little bit different. And so that, that can make it a little bit harder, but yeah, like I said, we tried this five times and zoning was the hardest part. And for us, as we were thinking about the business launch, we said, frankly, if we know that's the biggest challenge and that's the upfront challenge for us, we saw that as a benefit because if we fail, well, then we failed at the very beginning and we're not going to burn two or three years of our lives on this and then find out this problem way down the line. It's basically, if we don't get through it up front, then we won't get through it. And we'll all go back to working a desk job and being way more sad. So I think what Sam is saying is if you want to start a glamping business, there's a tiny town in Michigan that's yeah, got yeah. land available and yeah, it won't even come to us. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have said that, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
So how did you decide to, Sam, as a as an entrepreneur, how did you decide to get into the glamping side of it versus a campground or an RV only or all the other options that were available to you? Yeah. So this actually started. So before I operated a glamping business, I was a venture capitalist of all things, if you can believe that. And at one point I had quit my job temporarily and did a six month road trip camping my way across the country, which was awesome. Uh, and I saw a bunch of different kind of versions and flavors of this, which were all really neat and seemed like an awesome product, but I just didn't realize those were a business. And then one day I stumbled on collective retreats and under canvas and they looked like awesome companies that were doing really well. And we just said there at the time there weren't that many, this would have been four years ago. So at the time there weren't that many glamping businesses out there. And it seemed like a very underpenetrated market. Again, the theme here is hindsight is 2020. Uh, if we had sprinted then that would have been the case uh, the town we're in now is about to have three glamping resorts, potentially a fourth. So it's getting very crowded. Now, Sam, 20 now, yeah. they're all watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owning? <laughs> yeah exactly. But uh, yeah, when we were starting this, it just felt like there are two big companies, maybe three, depending on how you consider glamping intense at least, but they, each of them only had five or six locations. And so it felt like there was a lot of room to, to grow here. I do think that's still the case, but I will say warn anybody trying to come into it every year, more folks like us are, are joining and, and starting locations. And I bet this will be a pretty crowded space soon, but for now, there's still some room to grow. Sam, I'm I'm curious, as far as the septic system and requirements like that, what's the difference between a, a pure glamping resort and what you'd need to put in for a, a campground or trailer resort? Yeah, so it depends, in the U.S. at least, it depends state to state. Every state and sometimes local counties have their own septic requirements for campgrounds. Ours is regulated at the state level by Michigan and Michigan just has blanket. They consider us rustic just because there's no toilets on the tent itself. And so for those, they just have a blanket 75 gallons per day per site septic rule, which I know is different from their requirements for a full hookup, but we don't have trailers. I actually, I just don't know that number off the top of my head. But yeah, so for us, we just had to build a giant drain field. And Seventy gallons per day is insane. If anybody from Eagle in Michigan is listening, you should change that rule because it's ridiculous. Um, that's six showers per tent per day, which we don't get, but what are you going to do? So we work a little bit on that. We work for the state and they've told us, look, if you do measurements, I mean, you can show your septic usage annually compared against your occupancy. If you've got good data there, we might ease up on that. So we've installed kind of water saving solutions, pull chain showers, things like that. And then just a meter on our septic system in the hopes that in a couple of years, if things are going well, we want to expand past our current septic capacity. We might be able to say to them, Hey, look, we're not using half of what you've sized for. Can we go up a little bit? But that hasn't happened yet. So we're crossing our fingers. It's great to hear they're willing to be flexible. So don't we? Well, they, that's what they said on the phone. <laughs> we'll see what happens when push comes to shove, but uh, that's what we're hoping. Awesome. Sam, feel free to hang out with us. I think we want to pivot here to, we got a lot of guests here we want to cover, but feel free to hang out with us. And if you want to insert yourself into any of the other conversations here, please absolutely do so. It's an open discussion format. So uh, maybe we'll start with Patrice and Kevin here. Patrice and Kevin are, again, the hosts of RV There Yet on the Discovery Channel. Uh, Patrice and Kevin, do you just want to tell us a little bit about your show, how you got started, how you got into it, the process? I spent the last 22 years producing a fishing show, believe it or not, on Discovery Channel and others. And then the pandemic hit. And we couldn't go out fishing. They closed down all the ramps. 
And so Teresa and I started thinking to ourselves, what can we do if this business doesn't continue? And we had just thought of all the, the pandemic, the RVs were going crazy. And uh, so we went ahead and, and started the show. We own the show. This Discovery does not own it. So we own it. So we're able to do some things and have sponsors and partners and things like that. So it allows us to do a lot more editorial content, engage this, the fans a lot more. So it's really a fun, fun break from fishing. We've always been our beers. When we did the fishing show, we traveled from Texas all the way up to Maryland. We were a saltwater fishing show and we had trade shows and boat shows and we hitched up our trade show booth behind the RV. It was something that we did because we were always on the road. I wanted to control our food and have our own sheets and nobody else touches the remote and just be able to control our world. And so we've always loved RVing. We've always loved hiking. We loved state parks and national parks in the off time. So this was a natural transition. We were at a trade show for the fishing show and we're sitting in the broker's booth for discovery. And all of a sudden this one goes, what do you think about an RV show? And he, I didn't even know he was going to say any of this. We hadn't really even gotten that serious about it. And they said, yeah, give us a pilot and we'd love it. So we spent the next six months during the pandemic, we were able to go up to Shenandoah and film some stuff to get our pilot put together and they loved it. They loved it right away. Normally a season is 13 episodes. Uh, but our first season was six episodes because of the pandemic. And so we, I can't believe we're already on episode number four, going into number five, it went by really fast. So we're working on season two already. What, what, if I can ask, is it a, a comedy thing or is it an education thing or is it just look, look what's out there? What's the content? If I can ask. The content is just RVers, two RVers. We have um, another couple that he was a Furler Park Ranger in the Grand Canyon, and we met them through our fishing life. They also meet up with us on the road as well. But it's really just where we can go with an RV, what we can do with an RV, camping, campgrounds. We really love to tell the story of all this beautiful land has been set aside for Americans to go see and experience and take care of and be stewards of. Um, also telling small American business stories. This one coming up week, this week, we go back to Popa Beach where he grew up and uh, we get to meet a family that's fourth generation shrimpers who actually put shrimp on our plates. And so it's really just celebrating those stories and all the hidden gem places in America. We are funny, I'm funny. It's not a comedy show, it's more of a see America. Yeah, Shane, it's a little entertainment, education, both. But really, it's what we did the first season for was to test the market, see what the market wants. We found out we want more. We were doing more uh, events and, and activities and things, and we found that we we're going to add more camping into the second season. So really, this first season was to try it out, figure out the playing field, meet all the players. Uh, like we said, we, we talked to some ad agencies from the fishing show and Nebraska purchased an episode. So we got to tell the pre Patrice's story from where she was from, which was fantastic then. The Space Coast bought an episode for us for me to tell my story. We went to the Grand Canyon to tell Ranger Dave, that's the other our other partner. So it was really nice to start the first season telling our stories, telling our background, but also getting input from our viewers of what they're looking for in the TV show. There's really not uh, any entertainment slash 
informational and certainly produced at such a high level. We produced, we did all the editing, all the music here at house at our studio. We're here at our, our RV right now at our home base in Tampa. So it's just something we enjoy doing. And certainly uh, as we start the second season and sell in the second season, uh, we've got so many ideas and so many people want us to come to their town or their state or their community. So that's certainly where we're at right now with the show. Right. Do you have, do you have the RV manufacturers asking you to drive their units instead? They're not. Nobody's banging down the door because they don't have to. Sales were up incredible yeah. last year. We are. We did. We go. We went to the uh, Tampa RV Super Show last week, and we went in on Industry Day, and we did finally get to meet with some of the marketing teams of the manufacturers, all of which loved the show, had seen it, loved the concept, loved the idea of retaining those newbies so many new people bought an rv during the pandemic and i would venture to say it's not for everybody and they may not keep that rv but i would love to motivate them with our show on and how to retain those people and keep that generation going with rving and really i'm big on etiquette too in camping in hiking leave no trace be respectful I want to use this, pun intended, as a vehicle to really teach people how to have fun, but also be respectful. I love that. It's definitely a valuable to bring, especially, like you said, in this environment where there's so many individuals touch the market. And... I think there, because there's so many new RVers out there, they love to see pictures of where they can go. So. If you're going to new places and, and they see this beauty, right? They're all, all excited, man, let's go. So everybody's very visual and you start to get some ideas on where you can go when you actually see some, some of the sites. And Shane, certainly I want to add to that. Um, we did a show in Nebraska and the name of the episode is not just cows and corn because we ended this show at 4,000 feet at Shattered State Park in Nebraska. And every comment on social media was, I had no idea that was in Nebraska. So certainly having an impact for the Nebraska Game and Parks, our client, there's going to be a lot of people checking out Shattered State Park. And we urge everybody to check it out because the buttes, the park was super clean. It was just a really cool place. But to be able to show that what hasn't been seen before, we went to the Grand Canyon, everybody's seen it, but everybody said that our take on the Grand Canyon was very RV-centric. It was, we stayed at Desert View, which was a, a dry camping one night. We went to Trailer Village, which had full hooked up and and Shane, sorry to say, or, or Sam, sorry to say, but we weren't clamping. We had a carpet and we had that's clamping RV style. So I forgive you. <laughs> but that's really what we're looking for is to show people Americana, things that you wouldn't see that all of us in RVs can go to, whether we have an extra vehicle or whether we have electric bikes. We love our electric bikes. We did the electric bikes in the Grand Canyon and rode the entire eight miles out to permits rest on bikes. And it just was Probably the best time I've had at a national park was not having to get on the, the shuttle system or deal. And again, during the pandemic, it really helped out because people were a little sketchy and, and wearing masks and things like that. So we didn't want to wear masks on the show. And so being apart from them was really well. So it was just really neat to check out some of the state parks and national. Parks. I think that's really important for when you talk about first time RVers and people get their RV and they tend to go to all of the traditional spots that they know of and they're very crowded and it's difficult to get a campsite. And so all of those issues come up and it may impact their 
initial experience. But I think a show like yours, it sounds fun because you're showing some different areas. Maybe you'll want to come up to Canada one day, but uh, showcase some areas of what people can do that's not just a traditional, typical experience. Well, it's interesting you said that, Eleanor. We had originally started with going to national parks because we thought, you know, these national parks. And then we realized, oh, they're crowded. Oh, we can't fly our drone. Wow, we can't. There's so much permitting issues here. So so we really have changed the focus for the second season on our focusing on state parks, really unknown parks that really need the marketing. The national parks, I think Yellowstone had the biggest attendance in their history. They don't need more people. So really we're looking for the other parks, like a Custer State Park or a Wind Cave National Park that doesn't get seen a lot so that we can show people that there's other things except the big 10 or 20 that are out there. Well, the RV campgrounds, a lot of these people, like you had said, I think it was, don't know where to go and don't know what to do. So showing off some of the RV campgrounds, some of them can be scary if you don't know where you're going. And so being able to highlight those and little off the beaten path places to see and bringing people get off the interstate just a little bit. You don't have to go through Nebraska on I-80. You can get off and go through the sand hills and go see some of the most beautiful stuff. Just a little bit off the interstate. Sam, I know you're you right up Lake Michigan. We have done Indiana uh, sand dunes, but we did the state park side, which was beautiful. Knowing that you were right up there, if you had room for us, I know you're all blind. Oh, missed opportunity. Next time. <laughs> we are in the area. We'd love to have you. Yeah. Showing off those little mom and pop campgrounds, RV campgrounds, and helping them do well as well. So what does the future hold for your show? Where are you, where do you go in season two? How, what are you going to change? I guess is my real question, right? If anything. Yeah. Specifically. We are going to change the format to really just highlight state parks and local flavors, small American business highlight. Really tell a story of why that business is doing well. In um, We are talking to several different tourism boards right now to plan out our route. We have a handful of, each of us have our list of, okay, I would love to do this. It's budgeting right now, talking to the manufacturers, talking to the the dealerships, raising the funds right now for our season. Our crew is ready to go. We're ready to go. We just got to get the budget put together. And then once the weather is nicer in the rest of the country, we'll hit the road maybe end of April, beginning of May. And it's going for season two. Awesome. I see Phil over there nodding his head. And I know he was telling us before the show that his wife is from Nebraska. Phil, we're going to talk about NTB SAG where you're at in a second. And so I want to welcome you onto the show here. I know you've been listening in the background, but has your, have you ever been to the state park that they were talking about in Nebraska? Is my opening question. Not the Shadron State Park, but there are a number of state parks in Nebraska that are great. There's some around Lincoln. I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. Maybe you guys remember. But, uh, yeah. Yep. And then I've, I've also done uh, canoe trips on the Niobrara River, which is another hidden gem close to the South Dakota state line. And you're right, Nebraska's uh, full of surprises, that's for sure. Yeah. So what does uh, what does NTP Stag look like, Phil? You're, you're sitting here uh, live. I am in Las Vegas, Nevada this week for uh, NTP Stag. And for those of you that don't know, NTP Stag is one of the nation's largest distributors 
of aftermarket products. So when you go into an RV dealership and you go into that part store, distributors a lot of the time are supplying all those parts to the dealerships. And so at this show, you're seeing everything from towing systems to braking systems, battery systems, even plug-ins and things like that, and then air conditioners. So it's, a, it's, a, it's big business to supply RV parts and accessories. And certainly, if you look at a dealer's overall business model, for a lot of dealers, the fixed operations, service, parts, warranty, all that's a big slice of the pie for a dealer's overall revenue stream. So what is a... Go ahead, Shane, please. No, I was wondering, Phil, what are the guys saying about supply chain? Is there, are they starting to build up their inventory or? One of the interesting things here has been that everybody is being very honest about where the kinks in the, the supply chain are. And certainly we're still working through some of it. I will say it's getting better. I saw some data yesterday about out-of-stock parts coming down a bit. So I would expect through you know, spring and summer, we'll see improvements. And I know it's frustrating for RVers out there right now if they can't get the their air conditioner fixed or their furnace fixed. But I, I can tell you that both the distributors and the suppliers are doing as much as they can to make sure that those trip stopper issues are being addressed. A piece of molding inside the RV or whatever, yeah, that's an annoyance and I get that. But what they're, what the dealers and the suppliers are focusing on it's those trip stoppers so that we can get people back on the road to enjoy their RV. So what does, uh, what does NTP stag look like from an attendance perspective? You talked about uh, there's a lot of dealers there and things were going well. I heard there's about 700 dealers here. That's pretty close to their pre-pandemic show levels. So they're very pleased. The show floor is just full of some great new innovative products, uh, a lot of battery cell technology, new ways to make the RV more comfortable as far as the HVAC systems and things like that. There's a lot of innovation, not only in today's RV units, but also in the aftermarket where people can improve, improve their units or fix stuff that breaks. Awesome. I'll ask this question to Eleanor and Shane in a second, but to you first, Phil, what is just, what's on RVDA's mind as an organization right now at this time of year? Right now, certainly, and, and Eleanor can speak for RVDA of Canada, but this repair issue is a big issue. We, as you, we've talked about, there's a lot of new RVers coming in and they're expecting a car-like experience when their RV breaks. Right now, we need to do a better job of shortening what we're calling repair event cycle time, the time where a person drops it off and picks it up. And we've got to make sure that we're looking at that. And that's a big issue right now among the dealers. I would also say building inventory back. It's well documented that we had over 600,000 units shipped in 2021 in North America. And there's still, there's still some shelf space to fill on dealer lots. And especially in the entry level and mid-level travel trailers and motorized products that the manufacturers will be still building at a very high clip, I think, over the next few months. 
Eleanor, would you echo that up here? Yeah, I would say a lot of it is very similar. Our dealers are, are trying to refill and restock their inventory. It is starting to trickle in. But one thing they're learning is that they're having to sell a little bit differently as well. So it used to be it had all of your inventory on the floor by now. But now working with consumers to almost pre-order units to get set to sell a little bit differently from online to selling brochures and through videos. So that's an issue. Obviously, the repair side, yes, very important. So we have the, the same, same need to improve repair event cycle time so that uh, consumers can get out there and, and go RVing as soon as possible. It's interesting for us, most of the, the retail, many of the retail shows, not the CRBA show with Shane, but many of the retail shows have been uh, canceled. So again, it's, you know, how to get that excitement going for new, for consumers to ensure that they get to dealerships. So we're working really hard with our partner, Gorving Canada, to ensure that we drive traffic at this point in time of the year to, to dealerships. And then the other big issue for us as well, or the dealer body as we're hearing is person. It was always the skilled labor, the technicians to fix the RVs, but it's really, it is personnel in, in all areas. And it's not unique to the RV industry, but just finding workers that are able to be reliable and can, can work at the dealership. So we're helping to try to assist our members with those issues through different endeavors in terms of recruitment and just elevating the career paths available in the RV industry. Phil, you sound, Phil, you look like you were nodding and you agree with Eleanor with the technician issue. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the big advances over the last several years has been the uh, RV Technical Institute that uh, is open now in Elkhart. And they're using a hub and spoke model. They're setting up authorized learning partners all over the country. And so there's a real effort. What? Did we lose Phil? All right. Well, this hey, hey, what happened? What happened? In this Vegas in stays color. in Vegas. <laughs> I'm back. I saw that. Yeah. Anyway, I was just talking about the RV Technical Institute. Yeah. Yep. We heard most of it. We weren't sure how long you were going to be gone, but it's pretty quick. So, okay. Shane, same question to you from the Canadian Recreational Vehicle Association side of things, and then if you want to touch briefly on the the Toronto show that's coming up too. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. I'll echo Eleanor's concerns. As an industry, we're no different. I sit on a lot of tourism calls, and the tourism and hospitality industry is just begging for people. And you name what industry, they're all short, and they're all looking for people. I, my feeling is the RV industry has to really get the the themselves out there and attract people looking for maybe something different. It's definitely secure right now just because of the way the shipments go. So it's it's a secure job. It's a secure, uh, secure career. And uh, I think we need to uh, promote ourselves to attract new workers because there there's going to be a lot of competition for employees out there no matter where you where you go as far as the show it just different provinces up here have had different covid mandates some open and close differently and it's not a perfect world but ontario is opening up enough with en enough of an advanced notice here for us to have our trial spring camping and rv show at the beginning of march not everybody feels comfortable with the timing but we think that we can do it safely and we're here in that consumers just want this all to be over with and they want to start thinking about camping start thinking about the season and just be frankly done with all the lockdowns and everything we're certainly hopeful that so that people come out and enjoy themselves 
So Patrice and Kevin, I want to throw it back to you for a second. From a consumer perspective, right? Obviously you do your show, but you're traveling around and you're consuming at national parks and state parks and things like that. And you were just the Florida RV show. What is, what is this, how does this impact your perception of, of restrictions, lockdowns of the shows, of the attendance that you're seeing, of all those kinds of things? Uh, what goes through your mind? Uh-oh. I agree with Shane. One of my big things is the RV industry needs to get, they've been very conservative for years. And I think we need to really get out and engage this new market, all these new customers we have. So something like that we're doing, get behind something like this so that we can, like Patrice said, continue educating people so we don't lose people. It's one of those things. The trade show was fantastic. They had set some of the first day records. I think, um, attendance, and it was very well. I think people are dying to get out and get back to camping. I think it's else. We do live in Florida, and we have, I would say we're lucky to live in Florida, in that a lot of the, the restrictions and things have been lifted. We find that it is, we want to get back to life, but our being, in my opinion, is a safe way to do that. And I think that's a great message, is that you can still go and do and see and still control your environment years ago and why i wanted to control my food back in 2005 is i was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and it was something very important to me at that time that i wanted to control my environment and that was also contributed to why we bought an rv and why we're RVers. aside from the fact that i hate to fly so i think it's a good message to people out there that you can Go and see America and Canada and go do and live your life and still be in control and be safe. So I think that would be the message. And I think that's what we need. Oh, I'm getting that message out. We're a great platform for it. So, so we've got obviously Phil and Eleanor and, and Shane all on here from the RV industry in general, right? Both Canada and the United States. I know your probably exposure so far has been limited to the industry itself as versus the consumer side of things. But what is your, do you have a perception? Is, do you have, do you, have you come across it enough to form an opinion of how the RV industry is, is impacting your travels and your goals and your show? I don't think they're there yet. And this is my opinion. I don't think the RV industry is caught up to the popularity of everything like Phil was saying in terms of service and technicians and now we have so many RVs out there the consumer base is there and you've got hungry willing people to go do but you don't have the people to get you on the road back and fixed up for example we did purchase this we did not have a refrigerator for three quarters of our season we lived out of two little portable freezer refrigerators and somebody who likes to cook, it was not fun. <laughs> so because the part was not there and then the service and then booking our time to get in and then they would the turnover in technicians. So it's encouraging to know that there is a technician school that's going in. I think we need to encourage more trade careers for our kids, really getting people into this because this is an industry that's not going to go anywhere. It's growing consumer wise. I think the industry needs to catch up with the popularity and the infrastructure. So a question for you, Phil, and maybe a little bit of a hard one, but I'll try to be a softball a little bit. When you talk about the supply chain issues, we obviously know this is definitely not an RV industry problem. This is a worldwide, every industry, grocery, whatever problem. Are there ways that you've heard discussed or things that are being planned out to avoid a similar situation like this happening in the future. Obviously we can't control pandemics and things like that, but. Right. We, we had a double whammy because we had all this demand, right? 600,000 units 
in 2022 uh, or 2021 last year. We've never seen that kind of number before. So you're building a lot of units. They need refrigerators. Then you have refrigerators breaking, so they need parts. And so what I think you're going to see different types of systems put in place, not only are the suppliers building refrigerators to put in new units, but they're also at the same time saying, okay, but these parts are not going to go into new units. These are for our aftermarket customers. Okay. So you've got your team, you've got two buckets of parts to use versus, oh, everything's got to go for production or whatever. So I think those are the kind of things that the suppliers and the manufacturers will be working on moving forward. It's just modernizing their systems. And like you say, catching up with that install base that we've got out there right now. Is this that, oops, sorry, Brian. Oh, go ahead, Kara, please. I was just going to ask if anybody's tracking specifics about what the impact of this supply chain issue is having on the use. I SFI who counts does the retail sales is finally figured out a way to track use sales in the U.S. And, and Eleanor, I don't know if they're doing it in Canada as well, but I don't. I haven't seen the 2021 numbers, but the 2020 numbers, there were like three quarters of a million used units changed hands. So some of those are sold through the dealer, but a lot of them are consumer to consumer sales, private sales. And those, I'm obviously I'm biased. I work for dealers, but our studies show that the most dissatisfied RV owners are those who buy private sale because the unit hasn't been checked out. It may not even be What's represent? We encourage people to, even if they do a private sale buy, to go to the dealer and get it checked out because certainly the used market is is growing along with the new sale. Well, I think that holds true probably, Phil, outside of the RV industry too. I would imagine if you did a satisfaction survey, and they probably exist on the auto industry, that more people are unhappy buying their car from the neighbor down the street than they would be a dealer too. And so, yeah, but it's good to see that you guys are pivoting and adapting and changing and, and trying to create some solutions to this to these problems so that they don't happen again. So what, what else do we got to talk about, Kara? I know you're on a couple boards there in Alberta who had planned shows. They had to be canceled, unfortunately, but what's going on just because you sit on those boards, what's going on in your mind as far as the RV industry goes, Kara? Yeah, our RV show events here, Alberta, the Calvary-Hamilton RV shows were unfortunately canceled uh, just because of increased restrictions again here, specific to capacities and, and things like that, that impacted our ability to have a show that would be viable, frankly. But, and there's lots of factors that are going into that, but I really love to see RBDA of Alberta really pivoting in terms of their strategic planning around still drumming up exposure and interest in the RV camping lifestyle at that time of the year where people are just really getting eager to get out and, and start booking their trips and all of those things. So actually the, the, I, just before this, I had a call with their team and we're working on some cool, um, strategies to, to create content specifically in some of our campgrounds and we're doing some cool fun events leading up to our RV learning weekend, which is always awesome here in Alberta. So I think. The appetite to get out and camp on the consumer end is as good as ever, and that's great to see. And it will remain to be seen if we can rise to the challenge and make sure we have enough campsites and all of those things that are. We have hurdles around reservation systems and some of those those websites struggling to keep up with demand and, and stuff. So 
new strategies are coming out with with that stuff. We're seeing rolling reservation blocks launched already, whereas normally they would have been, you have to wait until March to start booking for your summer uh, plans. And so that really impacts the site traffic and things like that. So I think on various, from various angles and, and from various groups, this stuff is trying to be addressed to make sure that we are keeping our gifts satisfied and happy and really working hard to avoid any of that disenchantment that comes with things like really busy public parks. We'll be doing some video content that showcases some of our public parks that are a bit less traveled and a bit off the beaten path. We are really pushing for our private campgrounds to to get more exposure to them. They're certainly less uh, known, I think, in this province than our, our provincial and federal parks can be. Lots of exposure for those will help, I think, move some of that traffic that typically visits a public park into some of our private smaller campgrounds, which I um, you know, love to see, and I think they'd be great for everybody. So lots of stuff happening. Bring up a, a couple interesting points. Sorry, Eleanor, did you want to say something? I was just going to say the one thing that in terms of with the shows being canceled on Alberta and the RVD of Alberta, like Kara just said, pivoting, to put on some events that will lead up to their their consumer education. And a, a few of the provinces do have these types of learning weekends where they where our years consumers come and there are suppliers that are there, or dealers, the campgrounds that sort of that the teach and help assist in some of that consumer education. And, and, and while some of the shows have been canceled, there's a great opportunity because we know at the shows, most of them do have consumer education as well. So now there's been a great opportunity to try to carry that online and have that consumer education starting in February and leading up to April, May, so that we keep in touch with those consumers. So I think there's some great opportunities, even though you have to step back in one area, but, but just to develop that sort of online presence for consumers. So I'm excited to see what's going to be happening in some of the provinces. Me too. I think it's very similar to you were mentioning earlier with dealers really pivoting in terms of sales strategies and things like that. I, in 2021, I bought a vehicle for the first time in my life without ever seeing it in person beforehand because of supply chain issues. They showed me a video and we did like a video live 360 tour and I paid a whole bunch of money without ever seeing the person. <laughs> I think more and more consumers are going to be willing and open to, to do that. And they, I'm sure I am aware that the dealers are doing a lot of this great stuff too, where they delivered right to my door and, and offered this great level of customer service that really made that experience really positive for me when I was quite nervous about it. Those shifts I think are necessary and there's lots of people with kind of ingenuity in our industry addressing them and finding ways to get around it. So I want to toss out an open-ended question, right? I, I'm obviously much more familiar with the campground industry, private campgrounds. I've been working in for over a decade than I am with the RV industry. It's something I'm learning as Phil and I have discussed kind of my ignorance with NPT, NTB SAG and a bunch of other things. So my question though is, since this is our first RV industry show, we obviously are broadcasting to a lot of campground owners and growing in that RV industry audience. How does all this tie together from a, a RVDA perspective, from a CRVA perspective, from a sitting on a board like Kara does perspective, or even from an RV show perspective on Discovery Channel? How does all that tie together where does the where the lines blur how do you, you know what goes through rvda's mind when it comes to the consumer and to the industry and to all the other facets site availability that we were talking about the impact everything that we all do toss it out to anybody who wants yeah, to take it i'll just comment brian we're all in this together and the dealers the manufacturers of campgrounds and and obviously our consumers 
And I, I feel that expectations, especially today, need to be conveyed. So there's no surprises and that we lose. I, I, I think I feel like this. Tell people the way, what to expect. And, and you may lose uh, one or two consumers who say, I, I don't like that. But if you don't tell them and they buy and they get surprised and then you lose five or six or seven, then it's, then you have a problem. As an industry, I think we communicate with each other very well. Hopefully that gets down to the consumer so they understand and they can appreciate our, what's going on and they're not going to be surprised later on. And I think there's always room for improvement in that. I, I would yeah, also I would say, say that, you know, we always talk about I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, go ahead, or Eleanor, and you both. <laughs> go ahead, Eleanor. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jill. No, I was just going to say, I think we're going to okay. have to continue to work together because we've got a lot of product innovation coming. You saw that at Florida RV Super Show with some major announcements from Thor and Winnebago on electric vehicles. But what's going to start showing up first at campgrounds are electric vehicles the Ford Lightning, the Rivians. That's going to be very important for the two industries to talk to each other to make sure that we have, like Shane was saying, we have the expectation there that they understand how these the, the, these new technologies are going to function at the campground and, uh, and what we need to do as an industry to make sure that these new technologies work and people can enjoy the traditional experience that they've come to expect. Yeah. And so just to carry on Phil's point is, yeah, it's really being together. And I would, if I were a campground owner and, and we knew, we know the dealers, but uh, really to work closely with your dealers and other people in the industry, because there's information that we could be supplying or letting, you know, the campground operators know this is what's coming down and this is what you should be looking for. And just to make sure that they're aware of the trends and, and opportunities that exist for that. So I would just encourage encourage the campgrounds to to get to know your local dealers, work together because we are all in it together, and that will ultimately make sure that consumers have a better experience. I think from an entertainment standpoint, for us, you know, we're the perfect mouthpiece for all the messages. Our number one goal is to entertain, motivate, and inspire people to go out and see their country, their states in RVs, but we want you to have fun. So at consumer shows or dealer events, breaking out of the norm of just a standard seminar in a little off room, maybe bringing that seminar in the booth with the RVs there and doing it hands-on or, I don't know, you're the entertainment guru <laughs> in terms of shaking it up a little bit to get your message across in a fun way. Yeah, we've got to try more what we call realistic scenario type education as opposed to what I call the circus act entertainment. It's it's each dealership or each manufacturer can add to their booths with entertaining education with more stuff that feels natural. I found that we went to the RV Super Show at Tampa that it was very much a classroom setting, four walls, seats. Away from all that everyone. Yeah, and I, and I wait for everybody wants to be around the product and talk the product. And so certainly like Eller said, getting with your dealerships from the campgrounds, talking to dealerships, go even further, go to the economic development council, go to the tourism boards, let them know that there's a show out there that can come and stay at your park and promote the park. We're all about small parks when we're going to our destinations. It's what we prefer. We like to meet people. So certainly on our way out to say, 
the Southwest or up even to the Northeast. We need stops all along the way to get there. So finding those parks for us, I don't know every park. So certainly reaching out to us to let us know, hey, you're out there, come stay in our place and that kind of thing. So reach out, like you said, like, communicate. Yeah. And dealerships, bringing those educators, bringing those, um, the entertainment and the experts in on the dealership lot because your product is right there. And if you're teaching people, they're more receptive when they're being entertained. And if you're right there, the product's right there. I think that's a that's an easier. We we came from the same formula on the boat and marine side of things for 21 years. We were also had our own rods, reels, line, and lure at a big box retailer here in the United States. And we did appearances inside that and did fishing seminars. As soon as we were done, they bought rods, reels, line. We had the Florida Fish and Wildlife there. We had the Texas Fish and Wildlife people there. Experts that could always teach something different, whether it be an expert on the chassis or something, but little quick fixes that people can do themselves, little hacks that they can do themselves to get them back on the road. But doing that either in the show booth, in the dealership, on the campground, or in the dealer itself. All right. I don't know how feasible that is because I know nothing about the RV industry at all. But Shane and Eleanor, you're welcome to comment if you want. No, I, I think those are all great points for sure. It's a, it's a, like the entertainment component and, and education. As an association, that is one of our primary goals. We do work towards educating the dealers, but, but there are lots of opportunities for educating consumers as well. So thank you for that feedback. And we'll pass it on to our different, different dealers and different show promoters. And I was going to say, if you do have any promotional material for the show itself, we'd be happy to send it out uh, to our membership as well. Well, fantastic. Thank you. All right, we seem to have lost Phil, who is at NTB Stag, which is fine. We really appreciate him staying on as long as he did in the midst of a live show. But we're getting ready to wrap up here, though. So, Kara, any final thoughts? No, I just want to thank everybody for their time. I know, again, that was word that they work with. We seem to do that a lot around here these last couple of years, I think. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time. And, yeah, I'm excited to see where this conversation goes as 2022 enters into camping season and we start seeing RV shipments and things picking up back up again. I know a couple of the dealers when we were talking about canceling the Alberta shows were joking about how it's totally fine because they have a wait list and all of the inventory they had purchased is basically sold anyway. So if that's an indication of how things are going to go, I think it's going to be another interesting year and, and I'm super excited to walk through it with everybody. We have some great industry stuff coming up too that's super exciting. Obviously, CCRBC is doing our Outdoor Hospitality Conference at Expo in March. Register for that if you haven't yet. Vendors, suppliers, all those people contact me, get involved. We are excited to, to roll that out again. So there's lots of stuff to look forward to. And I think we're going to be in the thick of it before we know it here. I look forward to our next conversation specific to this. Awesome. Sam, I want to touch on you just real briefly. Like, obviously, this is a same and both both a different and a same demographic, right? People that yeah. obviously enjoy the outdoors. And so I think there's a lot of crossover there. So what are you looking forward to in 2022? Oh, gosh, just getting more people outside. I'd be curious to hear whatever, but I guess we're out of we're out of time here. So I can't even ask this question, but we'd just be curious how how the RV industry thinks about you know, getting new folks. There's a lot of more interest today from people who've 
never RV'd before, never camped before. And all of a sudden the rise of outdoorsy and cruise and all of those clearly is, is, I don't know if it's contributing to this or it's being lifted by this, but you know, as we think about our, our next 12 months, it's just helping more people who've never slept outside, sleep outside. So it's really great to hear that you guys are having all this demand and sounds like the message is getting out there for the RV industry as a whole. So we're excited to piggyback on that and hopefully you guys help us get some more people out there. Yeah, I think we're very intertwined and very interreliant on one another. Like you said, we're, your customers often transition into RVers and that's obviously valuable market growth and all those partnerships and good relationships across all of those barriers for sure. Maybe that's a topic we can touch on briefly next month when we have Shane, Phil, and Eleanor back on the show just briefly about the changing technology and RV rentals and outdoorsy and how the industry is viewing and seeing those different types of things. But we do have to cut it short for now. I know especially Phil's got to get back to this amazing trade show. I wish I was in Vegas right now. But thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it again. The fourth week, we're going to do an RV industry outdoor rec show and maybe add a few more guests here in the mix with Eleanor, Shane, and Phil. But really appreciate all three of them joining us here again. Uh, thanks again to Kara, as always, for joining me as a co-host. We'll have Angela back next week. Uh, Sam from stayoffmap.com, right? That's right. For Camping Resort in Michigan, maybe you'll see more of those across the country as, as Sham get, Sam gets more people. Uh, if you know of a place that doesn't have... Wind zoning. We can't. That's too easy. We can't get that one again, I don't think. And then, of course, thank you, Patrice and Kevin, for joining us. We wish you all the best on your RV There Yet show on Discovery Channel. When can they watch? Where can they watch? Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on Discovery. And then it'll re-air on Motor Trend in March 13th. You can watch it online. Go to Facebook, YouTube, just search RV There Yet TV or go to RVTheRYETV.com. It's out there for everybody to watch. Give us your comments. Let us know. Uh, we're tooling, getting ready for season two right now. Awesome. Well, thank you again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.